Hey boomers, welcome to this, the 20th episode of Sonic the Comic the Podcast. Ooh, that's a bit of a milestone, isn't it? Um, but unfortunately, the episode was beset and besodden with two separate technical issues when we were recording it that made it really hard to bring it to you today. But I have. Uh, one was that I left my flipping speakers on for half of it, so sometimes you might hear weird echoes. Uh, and the other is that we were having dreadful internet lag, which was making it genuinely difficult to communicate. So now, in both cases, I've been editing as hard as my little fingers can possibly edit, so I actually don't think you're going to notice like almost all of the time and you'll probably just think it's a normal episode but if we ever sound this maybe this is just me like hearing into it i think sometimes we sound like we're just totally exhausted and at the absolute end of our tethers and if <laughs> if you pick up on any of that then that's why so in order to counter this feeling of weariness i've decided to increase the tension of the episode just to keep you on your toes and offer a more thrilling experience and to that end at some point during this episode Maybe when you're least expecting it, I'm going to make this noise. Foo. Can you stand the tension? Stay tuned and find out. Hey, boomers! Welcome once again to Sonic the Comic the Podcast, your fortnightly guide to the Sega-sational world of the 1990s and the UK's official Sega comic, Sonic the comic we are your humes who think we're in charge i as always i'm chris mcfeely and with me is as always dave bulmer and this issue we've got the eternal champions break loose inside written across the top of the cover but it's not an eternal champions cover no i don't know why they break loose in this particular issue i feel like that no, was they... last issue when they broke loose yeah they broke loose last issue yeah perhaps they just mixed it up perhaps that was supposed to be the tagline last time yes this is issue number 20 cover dated march the 4th which means it came out on february the 19th 19 1994, which was a leap year, like this year. <laughs> Hooray! Well, we really have started this at just the right time then, haven't we? Um, yeah, we synchronised up nicely, didn't we? And uh, as if to celebrate that it's a leap year, we have uh, Joe Musashi leaping out of the cover at us with his big yes, sword. I love this cover. I, I always loved one. this cover. It was burned into my memory for some reason. Drawn in 93, look! Oh yeah, well it would have been, would A little it? signature there, covered up by the S of Shinobi, so it just says... Wood 93. Wood 93. <laughs> and like this one I remember um, partly because it's just a lovely image. Him lunging outward with the big twinkle of light coming down off the sword and his sensei in the background as well. But I think it was also because I knew this was an issue that Supersonic was going to be in ah. after we were told about it last issue. So this big radiating glowing yellow cover. In yes. my mind, I made that that connection. Easy to miss the sensei in the background. He kind of blends into the background and that's part of the art here. He's, he's mm. all linked in kind of pinkish red, as though to blend in with the speed lines that are whooshing everywhere, which just makes Shinobi's, well, sorry, Joe Musashi's big jump look faster, in my opinion. Yep. Shinobi, on the edge. Can he hack it? Sword puns. Yeah. Hilarious. And also, hacking puns, because there's some computer hacking in this episode. This is a very oh, good yeah, little yeah, tagline right. there. That's a good, that's a good double-edged pun. Ah, sword puns. Yeah, see? <laughs> by the end of this, we'll be able to fully produce an issue of STC all by ourselves. I'm pretty sure we could make a good fist of that right now. Oh, I think, God, yeah. I don't think it took this podcast to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and then it says, uh, of course, under the starring Sonic the Hedgehog banner, as though we didn't know, it says, win... 
Supersonic videos. And that's the one thing we couldn't put in our comic. We don't have any of those to give away. Yes, a confusing use of the word super there. Oh, I hit that so much. Like, I know. like, like that's an active, like, uh, deep-seated childhood hatred. I know of, uh, of when they would use the phrase supersonic, supersonic. to describe anything to do with Sonic, yes. but it wasn't supersonic. Like, I'll never forgive that one episode of Sat AM, which is called Supersonic, I know. and there's me sweatily fisted. Clenched, tight, excited, tuning it. Nope. Nope. Not, no. <laughs> you sweated your fist up for nothing. I know. <laughs> Got it all sweated up. Stop doing it. Yeah. Still, they still do it today. Even. I know. You catch it happening from time to time. And it's like, no, supersonic is a specific thing. You can't just use that randomly. I know. I know but we it's have to. On. But we have to own up that our beloved Stay Sonic did it, didn't it? Yeah, they did it. That was weird. Yeah. Kinterbor saying, from I now on, I, I will call, call you supersonic. Super yeah. Mm. No, you won't. That's something else. <laughs> All right, we got the same old Lego City advert on the back, so we can just crack straight in if crack you're ready. Or open. Megadroid is shelling hard in the welcome screen this issue. He is, yeah. Next issue, STC is 21 issues old. More than a good reason to celebrate. Uh, why? What? <laughs> I mean, it's I guess just... because people celebrate when they're 21 in America. Americans not really here. celebrate yeah. when they're 21. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I don't know why we yeah. didn't have this celebration for 18, or indeed for 20. Mm. But uh, Well, 21, as we'll see, is a very significant issue, but uh, mm. right now it's just significant because they're going to be giving us a supersonic spinner, yes. a mini frisbee, yeah. which I have a great story about, to me anyway, which I will tell next issue. <laughs> oh, I look forward to that. And in issue 22, the STC tattoo set, which I mm. genuinely can't remember anything about. And then uh, this issue, we have 24 sets of the... The Adventures of Sonic, correct? Two these there. Yeah, good for them. Although the second the isn't bolded. It's like not bolded and so capitalized like it should be, yes. Close, but no chili dog. The The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog videos for you to get your grasping mitts on. Each set features two cassettes of episodes from the Sonic animated TV show, now also appearing on Channel 4's The Big Breakfast Show. Yes, it had happened by this point. That was damn fast. I think I've erroneously said on the podcast before, uh, and if not, then just the incorrect belief was in my head the whole time, so I can be selectively discredited whenever I say this, that I thought it was a good long while before Adventures did show up on Big Breakfast. I would think Apparently I would have... Not. I would have estimated it happening like a year after the cartoon started on Sunday mornings, and I, I'm really surprised to find that it's already on the Big Breakfast. So, we've we've mentioned this obliquely before, let's spell it out very explicitly, in the five-minute slot after the news at 7am. It was at about ten past seven, so yeah, they'd, they'd open with the news, yeah. they'd open the show, yeah. then they'd have the news, then they'd, yeah, then they'd basically just have that. For some reason, at the earliest point in the whole programme, rather than, it was a two-hour programme that went from seven till nine, and rather than like any later because what child gets out of bed before they have to um, yes. for a nine o'clock start at school that's when they put cartoons on I remember I started getting up earlier to watch it because I was some sort of sick fool who thought it was good at the time because I was a child <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know why but that's when they put it on um, and yeah they took a single 22 minute episode and broke it up into five serialized chunks that aired Monday to Friday and when they did that I, I, honestly, that to me, it, it felt like it found its home. I know that's a weird shape to force a cartoon into, but it is. Adventures of Sonic, I guess, is t something that I just 
found was better taken in small doses. But, <laughs> and I was a, I was a fan, you know, I I enjoyed it, and I also would have watched. I I think they kept airing it on Sundays as well in half hour full. Episodes. I think so. The only episode I remember being on was the Goopster one. Do you remember Goopster? Nope. Well, Goopster was a um, a sort of weird, oily, shape-shifting blob with eyes on stalks that Tails befriends. Oh, and he taught Tails how to pirate music illegally. That's right, yeah. Um, and Goopster <laughs> would suck in air and get bigger. And by the end, he was really big and rampaging. I just remember watching that over the course of a week and at school. Like, every day I would refine my ability to draw Goopster by, <laughs> by like, I'd drawn him on day one and then on day two I'm like, oh wait, no, his eye stalks are a bit more like that. Okay, and then at dinner break that day I'd draw it a bit better. So um, that one was uh, certainly on and that's all I can give you, readers. What an interesting discussion of the big breakfast this has been. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing Megadroid mentions is that next week... We will have Sonic the Poster Mag number three, starring, you guessed it, Sonic in not only a brand new poster, but also a brand new six-page comic strip. This is going to be the first poster mag with an original comic strip in it, instead of, like, the articles that were in issues one and two. And yes, we will be covering it. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was, a, that was a bit Shatnerian. I don't know where that <laughs> came from. In its own uh, special bonus episode, hopefully next week hopefully and uh, that's if i can edit it in time i'm going to prioritize the main episodes but i think i probably can um interesting no content warning about the magazine there. interesting okay mm, yes yes um, i mean we will have to put a, put that up in front of ours Yikes. yeah wait, wait and see listeners um and then under the welcome screen after megadroid has essentially signed off it says human error STC 17 and god I I really appreciate that they used to do this and they do it they've mm. done it a couple of times already in the series apologies to everyone who had trouble finding copies of STC number 17 last month distribution problems caused that particular issue to go on sale a few days later than normal thanks to all those boomers or their minders that called the STC offices to find out where STC 17 was it was good to hear um van what do they mean there uh, that it was that. good to hear that each new issue of Britain's only official Sega comic is such an eagerly awaited event. Of course, they'll have to do another human error, saying apologies for putting the word than instead of that in the previous apology. <laughs> uh, hopefully, you all managed to get hold of issue seventeen eventually. If you didn't, keep an eye open for the new STC back issue service starting soon. Didn't they already? Ooh. I feel like they already announced that. I think they quite early talked on. about it. I don't think they actually. They talked about how issue one was sold out. Uh, so they're planning a back issue service. Yeah. Don't know why that was late. I guess it was the first issue of the new year. So maybe it was just something uh, to do with that. Yeah, maybe. Perhaps they didn't have your meticulously calculated chart of release dates. <laughs> <laughs> But um, genuinely, really appreciate little corrections like that. It's really treating the readers with respect, like grown-ups, and admitting that they're a comic and that they are run by people who get things wrong sometimes. I just think it's really good. Yeah. Well, similarly, I really like the other feature in the Control Zone this week, which is a little guide to the best way to get your letters and drawings in the comic. Yeah. You know, normally this is a bit this is a bit of fluff for some pic I mean I like the ones where they show pictures from from press events or sent in by uh listeners or whatever. But this is a, again it's a nice sort of acknowledgement that this is this is real. Yeah. There's a real comic that you're really trying There's to send a back pictures and forth. into and there are real people in behind that yeah, a back and forth. Yeah. I mean I, I do love the slightly cheeky attitude this takes as well but it's basically you know it's talking about how they get hundreds of letters and drawings every week but only they only ever print four an issue and two drawings 
and um, and they just give you a little a little guide. You know, they keep your letter short and to the point, write neatly and clearly, include your full name and address. Draw. I was surprised by this one. Draw in ink on white paper. Avoid pencil or crayon. Our printers have a problem photographing them. I love that. Again, I, I really appreciate them being completely yeah. honest and open because, of course, that's they were just using presumably something similar to photocopiers to do this. And uh, yeah, and so you know, for the actual artwork, they would have something better to reproduce it with. But apparently, they were just using. I mean, I, I feel like they got a lot of pencil and crayon drawings anyway. I don't think this dissuaded anybody from doing it. And then it says, "Be original. Don't just copy pictures out of the comic. Try to come up with your own ideas. Original drawings get noticed." And copied ones would get noticed by me. You know, if somebody ever copied <laughs> yeah. something under the comic, I would, I'm sure you were the same. I'd be like, ah, they just copied that. Yeah, I didn't really mind because I understood why you would do that. But also I was like, yeah, why have you printed that? We've already had that drawing, but better. <laughs> and then in general, we cannot return drawings and photographs unless you send a stamped self-addressed envelope. It's good of them to offer to do it at all. Yeah. Write your name and address on the back of your photographs. They sometimes get separated from your letters and don't challenge us not to print your letter because, because we, we probably, probably won't. won't. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you know, like they've printed one or two like that in the past, but uh, I suppose whenever people see that getting results, yeah, exactly. they probably try to dogpile on it so they have to stop them. That's just nice. Yeah, it's, it's a nice real world control zone this week. <laughs> this is a comic made by people in the real world. And also, there's a robot. Hilltop Terror Written by Nigel Kitching Art by Ferran Rodriguez Letters by Ellie DeVille With the people of the Hilltop Zone in danger from an impending volcanic eruption Sonic and Tails arrive to investigate Venturing into the volcano An attack by a Rexon Badnik Thanks for naming that one, Chris. I couldn't be bothered to look it up. I remember that one. <laughs> Sends them plummeting towards the lava, and the stress of the situation triggers Sonic's transformation into Super Sonic. After dispatching the Rexon, Super Sonic and Tails discover that the eruption is being caused by Dr. Robotnik's Seismatron as a trap to lure Sonic to his doom. The pair escape just as the volcano blows, but the hilltop people still seem doomed until Tails dares the arrogant Supersonic to do something about it. Using his super speed like a fan, Sonic cools the lava, returning to normal just in time to sculpt the molten rock into a statue of himself. It's alright, isn't it? It's alright. It's uh, <laughs> all the build-up that you felt because it said it was going to be Supersonic and then, you know, again, because yeah. we thought there was a Supersonic story coming and then even though it was erroneously used, it says Supersonic on the cover, there's that yellow aspect to it, so we're going Supersonic, 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 and then it's just very it's fine, work-a-day. It? You know, it's not one of Kitching's best scripts. Bit straightforward. Couple of amusing moments with Sonic being a massive prick. Um, <laughs> but I think that altogether the real downside of this is the art, unfortunately. Like, it's not necessarily ter terrible art or anything, but uh, this is by Ferran Rodriguez, who we last saw on Main Strip Duties back in issue number six. Um, the Death Egg Story Kitchen's first issue, where we, we remarked how we quite liked the the art, and it was yes. confirmed for us later that he was working off a Japanese style guide, which he is not working off of. On this He's completely one. changed his style here. It's well, the, yeah, the yeah, sort yeah. of airbrush uh, simplistic backgrounds are still here, but the actual Sonic model is nothing like what he drew before at all. Oh, this no, is it's, definitely it's an something else entirely. Sonic rather than a Japanese Sonic. Um, yes, but bad. <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs> 
you know how else can i describe it you know stc sonic looked good i think we've had worse though uh, no i mean yeah you're right it's just it's not actually in the quality of the drawing of sonic itself compared to issue six he's a little softer he's a little rounder there's definitely a lot less dynamism going on in the in the execution of the design. I think we probably did figure that that uh, he was probably working off of copied poses even from the style guide, which managed to convey a lot more dynamism in the art than than happens here. Like a lot of this has a very posed look. There's not a lot of kineticism in the art. You know, it's uh, like page two there, that very awkward panel of him landing back on the biplane after he jumps off. Like The story starts with him arriving in the tornado and he wallops a couple of turtleoids and then lands back on the biplane. But it doesn't look like he's just landing. He's just kneeling there, you know. There's, there's no momentum. There's no real sense of motion in the art. I mean, you know, like, of course, the idea is that he can't fly, but... It certainly looks like he's leapt off and is flying when he attacks the turtleoids. Doesn't look like he's just jumping. He looks like he's taking a horizontal flight. Yes, that's a supersonic pose. He's got the two fists out in front of him. He's got the back end of his body, just a big whoosh. And the featureless backgrounds aren't doing this one any favours compared to issue six as well. Visually uh, undynamic. And for a supersonic story, so insignificant feeling you know it's a volcanic eruption in the hilltop zone it's like that's not a reason for supersonic to show up it feels like um you know a a yearbook story or a poster mag story or an older story it's it just it feels like it's been tossed off quite quickly yeah i would say probably was to be honest you know dr robotnik sets up a death trap for sonic where he's gonna make a volcano erupt around him it's like yeah okay that's a that's a very issue number 11 sort of idea (laughs) (laughs) well and a characteristic that this whole episode has is that we're essentially being shown different stuff from sonic 2 so they're going to the hilltop zone but we start off in a pseudo sky chase situation where he's bopping those turtleoids were the bad nicks there's a moment on page two where sonic has done his you know semi flying thing although it quickly turns into a spin attack on the next page and then he just hopes that tails will catch him on the biplane which is a a sort of a dramatized version of the fact that in sky chase that's exactly what happens you're fighting these bad nicks and wherever you jump tails will nip right under you and, and catch you as you as you fall so nigel's giving us little snippets of sonic stuff well yeah he goes into the volcano and then it's the descending rope lift from sonic 2 from the hilltop zone and then the the rex on one of the hilltop badniks pops up and gives them a wallop as well and then super sonic appears yeah. with about as much fanfare as he does in sonic 2 it's like sometimes you go now i'm super sonic yeah and that's it yeah I mean, to be honest, that bit at the start even is illustrative of how little is going on here because there is no plot reason page one, panel one, couldn't have been Sonic talking to the Hilltop tribe and a narrative caption just telling us why he'd arrived. Yeah. And then we could have had some more page time with Super Sonic, but because it's such a minor level story and threat, there's nothing to do. It's just, it's a very, it's a very tossed off throwaway, uh, throwaway story. Well, it is, uh, but another way of looking at it is not so much now, but if this had run a bit earlier in the series which something about it feels like it was meant to do i would have been happy with it in the way that i was with some other issues Yeah, you're right you're right well some of the issues that you weren't so keen on but i was like 
Well, we're getting bits of Sonic 2 fan service stuff, which I certainly don't mind. Yeah, it is the sort of story that the comic would have told somewhere in its first eh, 12 to 15 issues, you know. And the fact that it's written by Nigel Kitching means it does have moments of flair that, oh, yeah. judged against those other stories, it, it comes off better, you know. I mean, so Sonic and Tails, they meet with the Hilltop tribe, who, who all seem to be like uh, eagles or something. I don't like them. No, they don't really look No, pleasant. we have this tribe of of bird people. Just sort of bird people who don't fit the general look of yeah. people in STC. All sort of ripped bird people. Humans with, with bird heads, essentially. Because, I mean, I think they're supposed to be bald eagles, maybe, or something. Well, I don't know, no, because the chief's name is Chief Cordon. And I was like, right, is it a Cordon Bleu chicken joke? Or is it an anagram of Condor. I know, I was wondering. It could be either, couldn't it? Because the character designs are such that it genuinely could be either. <laughs> yeah. They look a bit more duckular than they do Sonic, I would say. They look so duckular. <laughs> they don't actually lean into anything too bad. Like, they're not done up in uh, outrageous, stereotypical native garb or anything. Like, they're played as an indigenous tribe. They have, yeah, they have loincloths and spears, and there's a few totem poles. And they think that the volcano has um, started to erupt because the gods are angry with them. But. They don't lean into anything uh, uh, too bad on that one. But uh, 90s shorthand cartoon iconography that we're still not free of even today. No, we're not. Uh, but Sonic does not buy into this supernatural mumbo-jumbo at all. And I, I, But I love Tails in the background going, have some respect. <laughs> yeah. This trip knows Sonic's being a dick. And then the next thing that happens is quite unique in STC. Which is Tails being about as fast as Sonic. The two of them zip off up this mountain with, you know, they've both got big zooms and big trails. I mean, trails. he's trailing behind him significantly. Yeah, well, he's clearly in a similar class to Sonic. And I think this is the first time it's been shown that he's a runner at all in the comic. Uh, you're probably right there, Because, of course, yeah. the, this is acknowledging the fact that Tails in the games is also a fast-running character in, in the games. He's as fast as Sonic is. Now that, you know, I've heard a lot of complaints about that over the years. It never caused me any problems, though, because I just thought that the fact that he has these two tails, the act of spinning them behind him like a plane's engine yeah, would make propel him along yeah, faster like, than he could run on like his legs. Like he does in the game. Well, exactly, it yeah. made it perfectly fair in my eyes. Because like that's when you reach top speed in the game. Exactly, that's how the sprite showed tails running at top speed anyway. So that was perfectly fair in, in my eyes that tails could quote-unquote, run as fast as Sonic. Um, but I don't think we see that happen a lot in STC. You know, I never really thought about it, but I think you're right. Hmm. Although, but part of the backstory was always that, you know, Tails trained to run to be like his hero. Ah. So, you know, the idea that he built himself up to be able to do it, wouldn't. You know, I, never, I never really thought about it pre precisely because of that. I yeah, guess. so just being a streak of orange alongside a streak of blue is rare for Tails in STC, I think. Is there anything else to even chat about here? That is it. That really is it. It's just the a little... The coda off the end of the whole thing is like Sonic doesn't believe in... Uh, gods or anything like that which you know seems right to me i feel like sonic probably would be a bit of an atheist to be honest japanese american british sonic whatever you like i feel like sonic probably wouldn't hold much truck with the notion of higher powers to be honest so i think i agree with you but i love that that is the one takeaway like it, we we can add this one fact yeah. to the wiki about this episode is that we find out sonic is an atheist in this episode sonic the atheist <laughs> Ed Hillier's Sonic the Atheist. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, and then the, the so the closing gag is that whenever he uh, expends his super energy running around the lava as it erupts and cooling as it as it goes and turns back to normal, he sculpts the lava into a statue of himself that stands on top of the volcano, looking over the village, and he says to Tails. Now these people have really got something to admire. <laughs> Thou shalt have no gods before Sonic. <laughs> Altogether, it's fine. The art is not really up to snuff. It's definitely on the weaker end of kitching stuff, but judged on a curve against the other sorts of stories that it's like from earlier in the comics lifespan, it's fine. But we are on the cusp of a remarkable transformation for this That's comic. That's it. And this couldn't it honestly couldn't feel retrospectively this couldn't feel more out of place knowing what we know now about what this point in the comics history is that's yes and even up to now i feel as if we've been moving along some kind of trajectory that makes this feel less acceptable than it would have done earlier in the series and for stc's sake that's a good thing also whenever you promise me a supersonic story and hand me this no i'm gonna hand it back This is sort of the weird, odd one-out, forgettable supersonic strip in a series of stories that would enshrine this character, more than anything else on the international stage, as one of the most representative original ideas that this comic had to offer. Exactly. Supersonic had been given to us as something very very exciting and later on he will be something very very exciting and here it's like changing his shoes he just sonic puts him on uses him takes him off and it's nothing like there's this one panel and it's the wrongest thing where supersonic's just standing still looking at the seismatron yeah when tails is standing next to him supersonic standing still not acting not not in motion not violently striking out at everything around him it just doesn't feel right you know and obviously part of it is all hindsight you know because all those other stories haven't been written yet but but in the grand sweep of things it's it's the weird duff odd one out supersonic story the review zone this must have been a real tough review zone for you dave uh, it oh. not only are the two and a half pages of this review zone oh. one and a half of them given over not just to football games but to the general concept football. of the sport of football yes. they also finally review wiz and liz oh. and they rip it to bits oh right Let's start from the start. Dave, please, take take it, take it. So, but just to get this out of the way, the first thing that they go with is something called Prize Fighter, which is a uh, mega CD sports game. This is one of those video-based games. Yeah. And they say that it's video-based, and they talk about how, like, you know, you're, you're basically... They, they use veiled language to, to disguise the fact that you're just vaguely interacting with the video. So I was thinking, well, what is it? Is it press left yeah. to play the video where you hit the guy, press right to play the video where you miss the guy? What is it? I looked it up. It's actually quite interesting. It It is presented as this dramatic film where the POV camera, which isn't the only camera. It'll sometimes cut to other stuff happening, but generally you are being led out onto the ring. There's people uh, hanging around you, one of whom is Dick Miller, that old man that was in Gremlins and stuff, and he was in a load of films around oh, this yeah, sort of yeah, time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just playing a, a bit part um, in this. He's, he's hardly in it at all. It's really weird that they got someone as recognisable as him to almost have no lines, in, as far as I remember. I didn't find him saying any lines in the game. I'm sure he does. The review just kind of makes it sound like it's 
uh, photorealistic punch out. Yeah, and that's kind of what it is. And the way that they achieve it is that when it gets to a fight where it is still just footage of an actor going like, foo, 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 I'm boxing you, I'm boxing you. Over the top of that, you've got sprite fists. So you're doing the punch out movements oh. with your sprite fists. And depending on, you know, presumably which bit of the frame of the video you hit there'll be a little moving hitbox that it has in its memory and it'll then play it'll cut to footage of a close-up of the boxer being hit in the face and that's how they that's how they get around that the fact that it it's it's not unimpressive actually it's it, it, for, for the time and for what they were for this new kind of video game they were flailing around trying to come up with a justification for the use of cds with uh, it's all right and then we get to wiz and liz yeah which, now you know I've said this multiple times, readers, one of my favourite Mega Drive games. Absolutely ripped apart here. Listen to this. <clears throat> they say imitation is the greatest form of flattery. I say it sucks. <laughs> it's only worth imitating something if you can deliver a look-alike that's just as much fun as the original, or at least mutated into something else of moderate interest. Let's put it this way. Wiz and Liz will look very familiar to readers of Sonic the Comic. Imagine the first Sonic game, only without the spiked one, Robotnik, the coin? <laughs> Didn't even notice that. And the addictive action. Are you beginning to get the picture? Now replace our hip hog with a witless wizard, but keep the speedy sprites and rolling horizontal runways and pepper the playing field with cute wabbits that transform into ladders, fruits, and bonus items when you run over them. For good measure, throw in a few lame end-of-level bosses <laughs> because that's what games like this have, right? And Eureka! You have Wiz and Liz, or at least a cartridge that's painfully similar. Oh my god, okay, I can't take it anymore. So... Brutal! Yeah! This is Steve May reviewing this one, though. But He's aping David Gibbons' approach to Zool two issues ago. He <laughs> pretends that the game is similar to a Sonic game in any sensible way, which it isn't, other than it being a bit zippy. Although, funny enough, it's actually a bit like a refined version of the two-player levels from Sonic 3, in that it's got very, very, very short looping levels that are taken as fast as possible. So, that, so speaking from experience as someone who does know the game. I half think this guy didn't even play it. The difference is there's hundreds of, of these rabbits loping about the place. They're just covering the, the terrain everywhere, which you have to run through all of. There's no enemies, there's no badniks, nothing like that. The way the game works is you are strategizing whether to go back for the rabbits you missed that were on different levels vertically, or just hope to be quick reflexed enough to jump up to those platforms on the next lap, which is coming up because each lap takes about 10 seconds. And as you run through them, they release bonus collectibles, which float up into the air and you have to try and get them before they're out of reach. So again, you have the strategy of, do you simply turn around and go back or do you keep running forwards and jump up? What does what he close? After 15 minutes of struggling to maintain an interest in this nonsense, I just wanted to plug in the game that clearly inspired it and remind myself exactly how fine and fresh that first Sonic adventure was. Alternatively, I might dig out and dust down Defender. Now that's what you call a game. Okay. What? I don't know. Like, I know what Defender is, but what does that have to do with anything? Wow, he just really... Like, they got away with giving this 61% in the official Sega comic. <laughs> Derivative and uninvolving, the graves section tags at us. And the raves is just lots of colourful bunnies. Well, let me tell you one thing. They're all brown or grey, so no, they're not. I really feel like this guy didn't play the game and just... Heard someone else winching minutes, about it. maybe, yeah. I mean, so right at the top it says, you know, imagine the first Sonic game only without the spiked one Robotnik that 
rings, let's allow. And the addictive action. And this is going to be a hot take for this podcast. But I had actually argued that this is a slightly more addictive action-based game than Sonic. <gasps> well, the reason I say that is that Sonic has lots in it. It has exploration. It has ponderous stuff as well as fast stuff. This, this whole point of this game is just to be addictive action. Because it's a bit more immediate. It's very, very reward-based. So you run, you grab, you have. And having the collectibles means you can then mix more and more spells when you get home between levels, which means you can do more things. It's very gratifying, it's very Moorish. But like with Zool, more than Zool in fact, there's very little reason to compare these two games. The games are nothing alike. I'm genuinely mm-hmm. bemused as to why he's done it. Were. No, I'm honestly, I honestly, and I know that I'm a fan, so like maybe that's colouring my, you know, I, I get that people might not like the game. But I've, in the specific ways that he's laid out here, I've honestly no idea what wound Steve May up so much about this game. I, he, he genuinely seems very annoyed about it. <laughs> My only theory is that I suppose it's difficult to see the point of the game if you are not playing it split screen with your brother. Because this is definitively a two-player game with a single player tacked on. Mm. Now, I enjoy the single player a lot, but maybe I had to play it in two-player to get there i don't remember so that might be the problem but it's just nothing like he describes <laughs> yeah so it turns then into a review zone extra but it's it's funny because it's not an extra in fact it's the same number it's four reviews total it's the same number of reviews as we'd normally get in a review zone but it's just spread out over i guess two and a half they're pages. using extra here as an excuse to have two very well they're not similar but two very similar in topic games two football games side by side might look weird if you don't make something out of it maybe they didn't have something to fill up the third page so they needed to turn it into a thing to include these two extra columns just telling us about how great football is not about video games no. just about hey football because christopher jones who we've never heard from before and we will see if we hear from him again no and he's auditioning for something here isn't he with this exultation about football that he's written here. Football is a game that excites the passions, jangles the nerves, and can deliver beautiful glory. A crunching tackle that deflates an opposition player. A flying save by a keeper. Every muscle in his body stretching. And I love this last one because it genuinely sounds like the sort of made-up sentence that you would include to try and confuse somebody who didn't know anything about football that would make you go, wait, is that real? (laughs) A net left, billowing after a bullet goal from a top striker oh yeah i love the the strike the top nets yeah because yeah. uh, this was a world cup year uh yeah world cup was that being played explains in, uh, in it then. and 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 ireland had made it into the qualifiers yeah so i saw they're not northern ireland not northern ireland but that didn't matter to us back in the day oh did it not no 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 because like uh, back in the last world cup when it was in italy we we had the we had the anthem uh and even in 94 it was still sort of being sung in around schools and everything because uh, it talks about um republic of ireland and boss jack charlton here and the song was where all part of jackie's army we're all off to italy because the 1990 world cup was in italy whereas this was in the usa but that didn't stop us from singing it (laughs) (laughs) and we'll really shake them up when we win the world cup because ireland are the greatest football team Right. I don't got nothing else. I don't know. I just got up a story about a song we sung at school. It's f***ing football. I don't have anything. (laughs) What? Don't look at me.
All right, so the first thing that's uh, being reviewed here is FIFA International Soccer, which we have had confirmed to us was the original FIFA game. I threw it up on YouTube. I had a little look at it because, of course, I haven't played this game. Of course, it looks it looks quite good. I, I'll admit that it does. There was a time in my life when I could enjoy a football game on computers and consoles and... Uh, not on consoles. For some reason, I associated that with the rough kids. <laughs> but on the computers, I was happy to play an Amiga football game. Football and, uh, hooligans and their consoles. Exactly. It looks quite good. You know, there's uh, the graphics are nice and you're passing the ball around. Actually, the interesting thing is this is the only console-based 2D football game that I think I've ever seen where I could intuitively tell how you play it. You mean from looking at these screenshots? No, I mean from looking at the video on YouTube. And that's where I found out there's quite a brilliant use of football chants in this because they have a sample they have basically sampled crowds just going and they just play that at different speeds and uh, it's like yeah those are of course the lyrics to every football chant so they didn't need to be any more specific about what team yeah, they were. Uh, yeah yeah it's certainly the cadences <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, after that, they then have a review of Sensible Soccer, which is Amiga native, and it's uh, much less flashy. Oh, yeah. And, uh, well, Sensible World of Soccer is the one where it, it, everyone still holds it up as, I think, the best football game there's ever been. But this isn't. This is the first attempt, and it's by the, I think, the Cannon Fodder people. So you've got little Cannon Foddery stickmen guys running about. Nothing like as much of a concentration on graphics, but the gameplay... I think is top-notch in that one. It seems quite well-reviewed. Yeah, so you're looking at picture versus gameplay is the choice you've got here. Tell you what, though, here's a trivia question for you, Chris. Oh. What lost 6-2 and then 3-0 on these pages? This feels like a trick. <laughs> it does. As it came out of my mouth, I realised it sounds like a trick. I'll tell you this, the answer. This sounds like a maths problem. Football loses 6-2 and 3-0 to soccer. The word football. Oh, yeah, you know, I did notice that. The I'd... word football, yeah. not, not including the game's titles, yeah, the word sure. football yeah. is mentioned as the first word opening the, the intro there, and then once more ever in the entire review zone. After that, you've got nine iterations of the word soccer. The game is never called football apart from that. What are they doing? I hate this line. Soccer is Britain's national game. No, it is not. Exactly. What on earth are you talking about? And it's not. It's not as if we. It's not as if it's completely out of the wheelhouse of possibility that a person in Britain wouldn't call it soccer on occasion, but not mm. to the exclusion of the word football. Very weird. Very, no, that's very weird. Strange. And then we have a little sidebar at the end of this to fill in what it may have just been a little bit of extra space they needed to fill. Yeah, because this is two and a half pages, because the bottom half of this page is just another one of those Sabutio ads that we've seen before. So they don't even have three pages of review content. And to fill out that, we have this. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it says uh, Sunday League soccer is played by a lot of youngsters who really love the game. 
for these young players, scoring a goal on a muddy pitch in front of a handful of onlookers seems to mean as much as if they'd scored in the midst of a Merseyside or Glasgow derby. Three different places there. <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> if this sounds, listener, as if they're not talking about games anymore, they're not. you're more or less right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It says, STC went down to Motspur Park outside London, where a team called Charing Cross Association battle out their home matches. I will put any money you like down on what actually happened here is that someone was attending their child's football game. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because there's no way they sent anyone to no. this. I mean, it's just they, they get the opinions of Stephen Palazzolo, age 13, and Bob Weber, age 12, on the two games they have just reviewed. They're very complimentary of them, basically say what, what Dave said there about how Sensible Soccer might not have the looks, but has the gameplay. And... Yep, this, there was a little a couple of spare inches on the page that needed filled. <laughs> and it says, Both of these lads dream one day of playing professional soccer. Well, thought I, what if those dreams oh. had come true? So I googled their names. And? And, weirdly, I haven't been able to find any evidence of either of them getting into football professionally. Oh. But I did find that both of those names led to lots of coverage of both a Bob Webber and a Steve Palazzolo, Palazzolo in American football. Huh. And it's the, if and you're out there, guys, yeah. as always, <laughs> drop us a line if either of this is you. Please. I don't meet many Palazzolos. There can't be that many of you. No, but apparently there's one with exactly the same name in American football, as if America is a weird alternate dimension version of us. Which I would never... That's an accusation I would never level. Oh, which you would never mean. (laughs) Eternal Champions! Eternal Champions, part two. Written by Michael Cook, art by Brian Williamson, with colours by Steve White, and letters by Tom Frame. In their continued effort to prevent the development of bio-key technology, the Eternal Champions teleport into Nakano Industries. They meet heavy resistance, but manage to prevail until they're confronted by a giant serpentine robot that incapacitates and captures Shadow, Slash, and Blade. Realizing they can't win, the remaining champions prepare to withdraw back to their headquarters to regroup, until Rax grabs the teleporter and takes them to a new location where he promises they can get the firepower they need to rescue their pals. Eternal Champions straining slightly under the weight of its cast in this one, I thought? Yes. It's not bad, but it's just another fight that they managed to then tag a cliffhanger onto. You know? It's like they want to give everybody a little turn in the dialogue spotlight. It's just three pages of them fighting robots. And then this snake robot appears on the fourth page and knocks out the three characters. Yeah, I mean, it's just a fight, you know. There's there's a couple of fun exchanges of dialogue. There kind of has to be, doesn't there? Because what else can you do? That's all you got, yeah. You just have to have the characters doing that sort of um, angry superhero banter. No, but there's um, not much to say here, honestly. Like, it's still it's still entertaining. It's a, it's a fun fight sequence. The characters are still putting their personalities across. You know, we have, we have a proud trident saying, The speed means nothing to the last son of Atlantis. And, and, and Xavier making fun of Slash's dumb, brutish way of fighting. Um, the art's a bit chaotic, did you not think? Yes, in a way that surprises me because last time I was all over praising the interesting layout of panels and how many of them are crammed in in interesting ways. And here, um, 
it just seems a bit more normal, but also a bit more cluttered. And um, like, yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely not sure. The end of page three, when Shadow gets blasted mm. by the snake robot, but it's from off panel. And I'm genuinely not sure if it's supposed to be unfolding as a sort of what's attacking them moment. But I don't think it is. Because you turn the page, and um, the first page on panel four... Strike that. Reverse it. ...is Slash also getting blasted, but there's the snake robot tucked away in the bottom corner of the panel. Oh, so, yeah. like, it, the first dramatic view of it we get is also on page four, but it's in a full, tall, page-high panel where it's clutching the three fallen champions already. So, it's... And it's like, like it electrifies Blade with a cable, and I'm like, okay, where's the cable come from? Mm. Like, the, the, the cable is not visibly shown connected to the snake robot's body at any time. It's barely even really clear how these three pincers that are holding the fallen champions are. They seem to be on the ends of these strange sort of grey blobby tangles. I'm genuinely not even 100% sure that the robot isn't supposed to be one of the fallen robots that they've already defeated transforming. Oh, I think what we might have here is the problem that arises when you try and take a format that is designed for the 20-something page American comic and cram it into, mm. what is it, five pages here? Yeah. There's just not room. But you can see at the end of this issue that they have taken their first big and clear step to mitigating that by the fact they've split the party. Oh! Like Shadow Blade and Slash have been taken away by the baddies. Yes. And our other six heroes are going... I remember where they're going, but no spoilers. <laughs> they're going somewhere else. Rax is taking them somewhere else to get armed up to take on these baddies, these robots. So, yeah. So they, they've divided the story up into, into two directions. Yeah, this one wasn't really for me. This was just a lot of superhero quipping and punching, really. Yeah. Like, it's it's fine for what it is, but it's definitely the concept butting up against the confines of the space. Like, nine characters? That's too many characters for a five-page strip. And I think Cook pretty clearly realised that and took steps to deal with it. But for when they weren't going to do that at the end of the first chapter, so the second chapter is kind of a sacrificial lamb in that regard. It ain't <laughs> bad, but it's struggling. Yeah. News Live from Las Vegas, Sega shines at the Big Game Show. Dateline Las Vegas, January 1994. This report of the 1994 Winter Consumer Electronics Show comes to you from the gaming capital of the world. And for a moment there, I paused and went, is it? Vegas? Well, oh yeah, wait, Las Vegas. Is it the gaming capital? Yeah, because that's where all the casinos are. Oh yeah, gaming. Yeah, it's uh, before... We, yeah. That's the thing, it's the definition of gaming has changed now. Um, oh yeah, imagine trying to convince a gamer today that all those blue Renzo grannies who stay stuck to the slot machines are the original <laughs> gamers. They're the hardcore, <laughs> they've been there the OG, yeah. Yeah. Where all the latest developments in the world of video gaming are first unveiled. STC's own Vincent Lowe was there. So yeah, this is just broken up into Mega CD, Mega Drive, and Game Gear sections where it's just a list, basically. And we've seen one of these industry show uh, studies before where they just tell us what's supposed to be coming up this year. That's not all we've seen before. There's lots of games being ostensibly previewed at this CES that have already been covered in STC, I'm sure. I'm sure there's one or two things. I can't say there's anything on uh, Mega CD, really. They, they mentioned uh, Double Switch, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, we've heard about before. Yes. And Jurassic Park, obviously, we heard, we heard that mm -hmm. was coming for the Mega CD, too. There's nothing too interesting on the Mega CD. The Mega Drive, I think, is where the interesting stuff lays. Because yeah. the section opens telling us about 
the edge. <laughs> Which is a new modem type peripheral that will allow two Mega Drives to be connected via the telephone. Did you ever hear of such a thing, Dick? The tele what? The, the telephone that you talk on? Telephonocular communication in regards to computerial electronics. <laughs> You're gonna plug a Mega Drive into that? What are you talking about? Players can not only battle each other head to head, but they also have the ability to talk to each other at the same time. It was made by AT&T, mm. the US telephone company, and they say it was gonna be available in the States this summer for around a hundred bucks no plans in the uk uh because as i found out when i looked it up never came out i was gonna say i've never even heard of such a thing i've heard of the sega channel but not this yeah at&t apparently decided that they uh just didn't want to get into the video game market after all and apparently though it was ready to go they can't it ah there's no future in it but the reason <laughs> that they give here is why there's no plans to convert it for the uk a big incentive in america is that unlike britain most local calls are free listeners is that still true, Americans? I, I think it's true here, right? I think local calls are free here now? No? It doesn't sound real it to doesn't... me. But who uses phones? Well, like... that's the thing. This is why it's so difficult to even remember this. There was, when the internet first became a thing, there was a real imbalance between Americans who could just throw caution to the wind and be online all the time because local calls, which was what you, you know, your modem dialed into the internet via were free whereas here in the uk they uh, were multiple pennies per minute yes and it added up if you were in peak time i'd Oof. have to look this up but my memory is you're looking at 20p a minute that sounds yeah i believe that i remember it being a penny a minute penny a minute yeah when you were safe that's the weekends but, i think uh, wasn't it yeah, one p yeah. per minute at the weekends god i haven't thought about that in and two p per minute on weekday evenings, I want to say. Something like that. Of course, well, you were online long before I was. Uh, was I? Well, oh yeah, because you didn't have a computer. So, well, yeah, yeah. You, when did you get on? I didn't get online till uh, 1999, and it's Christmas 98. Yeah, it was uh, 97 for me, early 97. So yeah, I remember Penny a Minute in the evenings. And so in those days, you, while your American friends were just on the internet at all times and could be relied upon to be there, having gained social ground on the internet while you were away, meanwhile we were stuck having you know oh 15 minutes allowed here and there by parents who are counting the money and quite reasonably as well and that is just one of the reasons and without our influence that's why you think it's okay to call it fleetway sonic exactly that's just one of the reasons why flipping archie took over the whole internet of what of the, the ground zero basic knowledge of sonic was we didn't get a look in because we were behind a paywall disgraceful <laughs> I mean, that's funny because, look, look I mean, speaking of American influence, like then the first game that they yeah. describe as being previewed for the Mega Drive is Barney the Dino, which obviously wasn't its proper <laughs> name, but it's what they've shortened it to. Because, uh, and they have to just they have to tell us who Barney was because it hadn't made it out over no. here yet. Introduced to us for what may well have been the very first time in the UK, the concept of mm -hmm. this one of the strangest Mega Drive games on display was Barney the Dino. Barney is a purple dinosaur who appears in his very own popular Saturday morning tv cartoon show in america well, it wasn't a cartoon no i mean that's not well i don't even think barney was a saturday morning show was i have it? no idea i mean it was a preschool show so it would have been on during the week wouldn't it what else is interesting just a list of names isn't it king of monsters 2 fatal fury 2 there's a list of games there's something here called awesome baby possum this one okay this one i looked up yeah Same. this is from tengen uh, a company they were working on awesome baby possum 
Interplanetary Lizards, Grindstormer, <laughs> and Lawnmower Man. Now, yeah. Tengen were, in fact, bought by Warner Brothers later this year. Oh. Uh, so Awesome Baby Possum and Interplanetary Lizards never came out. Oh. Grindstormer did, and Lawnmower Man did come out after Warner's had bought them. But right. uh, They did make a game called Awesome Possum Kicks Dr. Machino's Bot. It came out in 93. It sounds like this must have been a sequel they were planning for later in 94. Because, like, how do you make anything better? You put a baby in it. (laughs) And uh, it says a platform game with almost continuous speech. And when I looked up Awesome Possum, it's one of these where it's going like, now I can really jump. Take that, you techno freak. You know, whenever he picks anything up. In fact, that one, take that, you techno freak, is said as he spin attacks an oncoming robot presumably set upon him by Dr. Mechanism or whatever Machino, it was you just said. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Sonic ripoff. Yeah, if you're looking for a Sonic ripoff. ripoff. Like, I'd never heard of it before now, but I went and Googled it prior to this and I was like, as soon as I saw Cake's Dr. Machino's butt, I was like, well, I don't even have to look at the gameplay to know what was going on here. Yeah. Part of that weird series of curious mammal video games. <laughs> but, you know, speak, speaking of speech, they talk about this Sylvester and Tweety game that's coming from Tech Magic. Oh, yeah. uh, I looked it up. It turns out it was called KG Capers, was its title. Sylvester okay. and Tweety and KG Capers, which has, I mean... A stunning game with the most incredible digitized speech and music that rates among the best ever heard in a game. Whoa. Okay, calm down. <laughs> Is it? What well, would you agree or not? I mean, it sounds like the characters, so you know, it's yeah. just now I got you mouth. Well, not mouth bird, but you know, I said mouth because it's got a <laughs> in it. That's why. Yes, bird hasn't. It's more amusing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a poor old Game Gear don't got no love at all. No, of course not. Little no. to offer in the way of surprises. Donald Duck and see, look, Deep Duck Trouble. That's the one we just had word of, and I had to say they called it Donald Duck Two, but actually it's called Deep yes, Duck Trouble. Deep Duck Trouble, yes, and Scratch Golf, and that's it. So it's like, these things are previews, but they're of games we've had previews of. So this isn't the first time they were unveiled. I suppose they probably just told us the names, and this is the first time they were getting to see them. Yeah, yeah, probably. But yeah, sadly, it's ironic, but the most interesting things in this whole list is the stuff that never came out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I suppose perhaps another interesting thing is the photograph that we have down at the bottom that uh, old Lutie would be interested in. There's a statue of Sonic holding a big ring, and I know that there's a movement online to try and track down all these old statues, so I wonder if they found that one. Oh yeah, I have heard about that, yeah. Yeah. I did perhaps assume in this sea of weird things that never came out that the next item the new zone covers didn't come out. Same, um, but it did, didn't it? But it did, yes. This is the Sega Multi-Mega, or as it was oh. known in North America, the Sega Genesis CDX, a portable game system that combines a Mega Drive and a Mega CD into one unit. I say portable, I don't mean it had a hmm. screen on it. It was You could transport it. It was portable because it worked like a CD player. You could carry it, strap it to your belt like a CD player and listen to music <laughs> on it. Uh, same way you could play audio CDs on a mega cd right but you couldn't strap it to your belt and go jogging no exactly <laughs> yeah so this was one unit and it had a cartridge slot in the back and the cd thing and it just so it just so like with, with all the various oh. weird things we've heard in the news zone that never came to be this sounds like fanciful sorcery that they could have accomplished this and made it come out well and also because based on the fact that i massively wanted one and never 
ever saw one. I always thought it never came out. But it did. It did. It's just that the quantities were very limited. It says here limited quantities and they mean it. I don't have the UK number, but they only made 5,000 of them for America. Ooh. All of America. I, I read that it was discontinued when they started making the 32X, which was later oh this year. And they declared that it was only ever a novelty item and not designed to be like a new right. permanent like console or replacement. Or... Which is a shame because what we're looking at here is so imagine if you're if you are old enough for this listeners imagine a portable cd player of the discman sort which if you're listening into this show you probably are <laughs> um only with a bit further back that's got a mega drive slot in it so you've got yeah. a cd player and a mega drive slot on the back and it will run mega cd games all Mega Drive games can be plugged into a TV. You have to plug it into the mains to use it as a games machine. You can use batteries to use it as a CD player. And preempting the Nintendo console redesign custom, you know, your Game Boy Advance SP, your DS Lite, yeah. this strikes me as the design the Mega CD always ought to have striven for anyway. Yeah. I think it's quite thick. The, the picture yes. here is only a top-down look. Yes. Um, it is not as narrow as a CD player. It looks like like it's a couple of CD players thick stacked on top of each other. Not exactly something you could strap to your belt. No, that is nonsense. You could ne Now, we actually, our first CD player for our house was a portable CD player, and it never got used portably because you couldn't in those days. They skipped. Mm, the mm. CDs would skip and hop at the slightest little movement. So... Yeah, they were strictly just because you could more conveniently move them around your own house and yeah. plug them into different sets of speakers. Or, uh, if you were that way inclined, take it in the car and plug it into a little fake tape that would go into your car's tape drive. This It didn't come out in Japan, I read. Really? It's so weird, because this is the design the Mega CD should always have had. It's... It's so much smaller and better. And yeah, you'd think it would hike the price up, but it's only 350 quid, which isn't too bad. No, not for the two things together. I mean, no. you remember the confusion we had exactly. in, yeah, with that previous situation. But I did read that another company in Japan um, acquired like the license to the design and brought out their own console. With It was called the Linguaphone. <laughs> and what did it do? I, just, I don't no i didn't read that far i just Sorry. liked the name and i thought the <laughs> name was interesting enough on it so well it is but it makes me think that it was a language learning aid rather than a, oh, oh, did it play mega drive games is my question uh, that's a good question i'm gonna look it up right now <laughs> lingua phone uh the multimega was not released in japan the design was licensed to lingua phone who rebranded the unit as the lingua phone education gear very little is known about this version of the unit Oh, well. That's from computinghistory.org. So, <laughs> dot .org. Dot .org. <laughs> Yo, hey, what's happening, dudes? I tried to find out more about this, and you just can't. You can't. I've tried everywhere. The only thing I've found that's even close to providing any information about it is a, a video in Russian. Best I can figure out is there is a company, or there was a company, called Linguaphone. Apparently they're actually based in London, so I don't know why it seems to have only come out in Japan. But um, that's it. But they're a language learning company. And so I guess they decided to make language learning software... I, what they could use a multi-mega for in that, I do not know. Back to the podcast, we don't know. Answers on a postcard. In fact, answers on an email to stctpodcast at gmail.com if you happen to know. Well, then we have Sony Hangs Sly Targets Texas, which is a very strange headline that needs some extra passing out. Mm, Movies yeah. move in on Mega CD. Two new Mega CD games out this month from Sony ImageSoft, owe their existence 
to movies. So one is an adaptation of the Sylvester Stallone movie Cliffhanger, and then another is one of those Mega CD interactive movie games called Ground Zero Texas, which simply from the screenshot I thought was one of those... Oh, I can't remember the name of it. You know the oh, one what's where it you... Called? Yeah, the, the, the... Wild Bill or... The Cowboy Man game. Yeah, the yeah. Cowboy one where you where you shoot uh, at... at Cowboys. Video. You, sh- you shoot at, uh, at cowboys on a pre-recorded video and you have to do it all in time or they shoot you in the game ends. But it turns out it's about an alien invasion in Texas. It is, although the aliens are cunningly disguised. And I wonder if the aliens are disguised as cowboys or something. They is are it is? very cunningly disguised as humans just running towards you and then getting shot, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that does answer my main question. The, uh, the game's FMV for this one was shot by a full Hollywood film crew, which meant that digital this is interesting digital pictures actually had to negotiate with the directors guild screen actors guild and writers guild which was the first time this had to be done for a video game oh uh, you know that's genuinely fascinating it's funny because i thought when it said here that they owed their existence to films i thought it was just like a sort of a wanky way of getting two (laughs) things covered in one info box because one they both had moving pictures in them i think it is i mean yeah that might have been the intention but that's actually really interesting interesting that this weird little game that nobody's ever heard of was actually the first time that that all that stuff had to happen for video games which common practice now isn't it yeah it is just a film so you are welcomed to the little wild west town you're led around a little bit and then at some point the film with you know proper like director credits and so on it was the it was the screenwriter of the spawn movie (laughs) wrote this oh well glowing review there <laughs> and uh, so then at some point during the game it does make way for a, a very simplified version of that that previously mentioned cowboy game the name of which eludes us at the moment black bart or wild bill or something like that you know the one you all know the you one we're talking about we're not one. looking it up no and uh, you shoot at the people and it cuts to footage of them falling over and that's it that's that's what the game seems to be but there's a film woven through it Or rather, there's gameplay woven through the film. Yeah. Compo! Turn a page, and we have the promised video game compo. Not that it's a compo, because it's another one of those ones where, um... Well, we've talked about them before, (laughs) where you just have to write your name on a postcard or sealed envelope, and you don't got to answer a question or do nothing. You just got to pay for a stamp. That's right. Your mum had to pay for a stamp. (laughs) There's only one thing you have to do here, and that is to send it in uh, for the closing date, which is precisely 26 years to the day before the release of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. (laughs) (laughs) Monday the 14th of February. No Valentines, please. (laughs) Uh, Also, I wonder if uh, someone at Tempo might have slipped STC a fiver to list that first episode's airtime incorrectly so that they could uh, sell more copies of the tape. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt it somehow. (laughs) No no mention of what they'll be pulling these results from. Shinobi. One, two... The Art of War, Part 2 Written by Alan McKenzie Art by John Howard Letters by Ellie DeVille Musashi infiltrates the Neo-Zeed building And accesses a computer to search for information about Naoko's location Unfortunately, he has momentarily forgotten the lesson his sensei taught him about the dangers of misdirection Too late, he realises that his unauthorised access of the computer has only allowed the Zeed to pinpoint his location, and armed security is already on their way. 
It's another brisk one, not unlike Eternal Champions, but uh -huh. good strong stuff again. Yes. And so I was right first. Well, I was right and I was wrong because this follows on the structure of the, the previous issue where we have a flashback to Masashi's training with the sensei and the lesson that he learns in the flashback is the lesson that then is relevant to the present day scenario. Yeah, arguably. The thing I was wrong about was that it's a two-page flashback to his training with his sensei, whereas I thought it would only be one because that's a lot of real estate. It is, yeah. And I was very excited to turn the page and find these two pages. Yeah, the series uh, follows on with this this art of war idea that, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get the footnote now on every chapter where we're reminded <laughs> that the art of war is the classic book on battle strategy. Megadroid. <laughs> the precept that informs this uh, issue's story is know your enemy. To do this requires intelligence. Sun Tzu has stressed the importance of espionage. So, Musashi... Uh, uh, accesses the computer rather than trying to stalk the building in the dark and search it uh, firsthand. He uh, just simply tries to use a computer using the metaphorical language of the Neo Zed in this century. Computer hacking, which seems to involve typing a five-letter access code <laughs> into the computer. Mm, you really hacked that. I'm in. I, I think that does technically count as hacking, guessing someone else's password. But uh, yeah, it's not. <laughs> you don't need to have learned it from a ninja master, do you? I, I don't think he did. I don't think he did. Though Musashi may have spent a lifetime learning the old ways of Bushido, he also took the time to master some more modern disciplines. I don't think his sensei taught him to hack computers. <laughs> but it does say computer hacking amongst them, and I like that. I like the idea that this guy has gone, well, look, I'm a ninja, I've learned Bushido, but I'm going to need some modern day strategies as well. That's That's cool. I like that he's a hacker. Yeah, I like where this grounds the series. You, you, I've been playing Shinobi 3. Now that I have this Mega Drive Mini, because that console is basically like Sonic the Comic, the console. <laughs> like, of all the strips that were ever in Sonic the Comic, non-Sonic strips, that is, there's only four of them aren't on that console. So so now I can play all these games before we read the strips. Or um, And you know that's a weird game? Like it's 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 good. I'm enjoying it, but it's a it's a real arcade scroller type. You know, not you know it's you know that's what's really funny. Playing the Mega Drive Mini is giving me a greater appreciation for that random use of the word arcade oh. we saw a lot of in the reviews and such, because it feels like an arcade game. I don't actually know <laughs> how to describe it, but it but it's so video gamey right the first level is you're in a forest and some caves fighting like ninjas and dudes in samurai armor exactly what you'd expect second level starts you're riding on horseback through oh. a field jumping over spears thrown at you by ninjas it's all good and then you wind up like your horse ride leads you to an armed building you're infiltrating it you're dealing with uh, uh, armed soldiers and uh, there's a rocket launched at the end of it and you have to you know, climb up a silo as the rocket launches and I'm like I'm not sure what this has to do with anything but it's very video gamey and then in the third level you're in a science lab where living brains leap at you out of canisters and oh, the final cool. boss is a monster made out of poo and I'm like what does this have to do with anything a monster made of poo I, it's it's brown and slimy and it comes out and it flings its turds at you. I don't know what to describe it as. It makes me look at the Sonic the Comic strip and go, oh man, they latched onto all the right bits and figured out how to distill it down just right to create a really good like story about a, a ninja in the modern day. 
No poo monsters. I only have one criticism here, and you might be able to help me with it. Mm. What happens here? If we take the flashback out, what happens here? He, he hacks the computer. The fact that he hacked the computer alerts someone in the central control place, and they send someone to get him, yeah. right? Yeah. What's that got to do with misdirection? Yeah, I feel like it's a little... I mean, I think the implication is this thing that they say here afterwards. The Zed probably already knew someone was in the building. It was essentially an open target uh, he was basically allowed to access the computer okay it was the cube of cheese placed <laughs> under the large cardboard box propped up with a string well and also they probably set a really easy password for him to guess it's just shinobi yeah, yeah it was one two three four <laughs> that does make sense then um but i think it's a bit tenuous but, but i agree with you it is tenuous it yeah is, I, yes. I feel like they could have come up with a more obviously misdirection based story than this yeah i mean the thing that surprised me was simply that the lesson that he learned from his sensei in the flashback was not the art of war precept that informed the first two pages of the story i yes. figured that would have been the logical themes for the chapters to follow is that the flashbacks show how he learned the lesson that he has to employ to accomplish the event in this chapter of the story but obviously it's not like you could really illustrate computer hacking when he's training with his sensei. I mean, I love the I love the stuff in the flashback. Yeah. Uh, the flashback is uh, Musashi reluctantly being told to blindfold himself by his sensei and then to fend off his attack without seeing it. It's it's, it's a way to train his his harage, his yes. ninja radar. He's got his mask on, covering his eyes. He's fighting without being able to see with his sticks. It's good. I mean, that's pretty traditional ninja movie supernatural power stuff. Ninjas who can fight blind. Blindfolded. And the, the point that is made that the sensei makes is that any sense can be misdirected and your harage will work for you against like direct attacks and things that you can't but but misdirection is the key to victory. And I like the beat that they ended with is like where he, he uh, even the simplest misdirection can confound the most accurate of senses as he as they sit down on a little table and as he pours them a cup of tea and as he pours the tea he comes out with a knife and holds it to his throat. It's like wah misdirected you <laughs> Kung Fu <laughs> so i think what we have here is the weakest shinobi so far i would real well no remember how the final chapter of the first serial whiffed it for being a finale it did but in yeah. in terms of just being an episode of a comic it was fine whereas this one well this is yeah, fine you're right there yeah but it, it it introduces it kind of it feels like it kind of crumbles because You've got the introduction of like, so here's what we're taking from the art of war this time, which doesn't really have anything to do with the next thing that happens, which is that he hacks something, which doesn't really have anything to do with the lesson we learn from the flashback, which is misdirection. So, yeah, it's a bit... The, the bits don't quite come together yeah. on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Pains me to say it, but I know, yeah, because we love yeah. Shinobi. Yeah, so we're allowed to bank one Shinobi episode yeah. we don't love, and I think this is it for me. It's got to be, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I like, I enjoyed it well enough for what it is, but, yeah. but even as I was writing the summary for to yeah. read out there, I was like, how does that be that exactly? Yeah, it's, it's pretty. Like, if the idea was specifically that the Zed had, if they spelled out more clearly the idea that the Zed had allowed him to come into the building and set that up as i say as the cardboard box with a stick yeah. underneath it yeah uh that would that would be fine because that would be clear misdirection but the fact that musashi's conclusion is that the zed probably already knew somebody was in the building means it doesn't even feel like the computer is set up there as the cheese on the mousetrap it's not what it feels like it doesn't feel like he has been misdirected it just feels like he hasn't cor 
correctly and thought through what he was doing, rather than the fact that he's been tricked into it. He doesn't feel like he's been misdirected, it just feels like he hasn't thought what he's doing all the way through. Basically, yeah, he's just been a bit of a wally. Yep. One last thing I want to mention. I think we ought to give this a mention. That on the last page... That f***ing sweet-ass dragon coming down through the back. Just as an artistic flourish, Howard has just drawn, behind the panels, one of those long, ribbony, eastern-style dragons who just is peering around the last panel and going like, Hello, I'm here as well. Not to do with the comic, I just look good. It doesn't illustrate anything, yeah, it doesn't serve to emphasize, it's not a metaphor for anything that's going on in the comic, just a dragon in there. He's leaning more and more and more into the The Far East. Mystical Orient. You know, you probably wouldn't get away with it today, to be honest. No, shouldn't think so, no. Just using all this random Eastern iconography to pump up the flavor of the strip. And it's a cool dragon. It's just a cool dragon. (laughs) It's just a cool dragon. So we've got another uh, advert for that Roy of the Rovers thing that's going on, the monthly that Seb told us about. This this is a single page that's split into top to bottom, so it's two half page ads. On the top we have this one for Roy of the Rovers. The new Roy of the Rovers. And this one comes with a giant size Melchester Rovers just a giant sized Melchester Rovers. I think they mean poster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> poster? It's, yeah, I'm free with issue seven. There's that quote again that we saw in a previous issue. In France, this <laughs> magazine would be hailed as a major cultural asset, says <laughs> the publisher. Uh, do you mean a magazine called the publisher? Or is that what. The publisher of this I comic. had to say about the comic. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and then below that, the uh, bottom half of the page is given over to an advert. For a different uh, comic, presumably, yeah. yes, Fleetway Editions. Oh, yes. It is the Batman animated series comic tie-in. Yeah. I didn't actually read a lot of this comic. I don't know why, because I watched the show and the show was fanned. In fact, I'm in the middle of re-watching the show right now because I got the Blu-ray set for Christmas. Oh, is there a Blu-ray set? Oh, oh. yes, they've just remastered the whole thing, yes. So I don't know why I didn't read a lot of the comic, but I guess it was, I guess it was because I was spending my pocket money on Sonic, really. Oh, well, they're only charging 95p for an issue of Batman. Yeah. And this is with more pages, more features, more pinups, and more thrills. Issue 12 has eight extra pages and a free badge. Ugh. Ugh! Q-Zo. It's a walkthrough of Aladdin. Again, this is much like that Bubsy one from an earlier issue. There is really nothing to latch onto here because it is just a very dry description of what you do to get through the game. You know, walk right, make sure you jump over the hot coals, stand on the camel's back to kill the enemy, then continue right. Yes, climb up the rope, jump left and touch the small lamp to kill the baddies. This is... The, really, this is describing step by step how you play the game Aladdin. So it kind of surprised me that they've managed to cram the whole thing into a single double page spread. It feels to me like a longer game than that. Yeah, they did it with Bubsy too. But the thing is, with Bubsy, I've never played it, so I don't know. Whereas ah. with Aladdin, I know exactly how long that game feels, and it feels longer than these two pages allow for. But they seem to have managed to cover it all. I mean, we have here a paragraph for each level. Level 4, Sultan's Dungeon. Level 8, Inside the Lamp. And it's all described here. And then, once you get through it, you get some top tips, which are just your basic... We've mentioned this before, just your basic... If you read the manual, you find out the same stuff. Use the apples wherever possible to kill the baddies. That way you don't risk being hit. 
But don't you need to save your apples? That's exactly what I was game. going to say. It doesn't mention the apple problem. So, okay, so fighting the final guardian. Here's, here's how it tells you to fight the last boss of Disney's Aladdin on the Mega Drive. Spoiler warning, okay? So, <laughs> when Jafar is trying to pull you in with his magic beam, keep to the far right. As soon as it stops, approach him and throw apples. Keep to the far right and demand he debate you. <laughs> After several hits, he'll turn into a fire-breathing cobra snake. Try and jump over the flames while throwing apples at the snake. And after several hits, you should have completed the game. Go on to kiss Princess Jasmine. Ah. See, I love that. See, you and I, we can determine <laughs> what that is. Go on to kiss Princess Jasmine. Ah. See, if I was writing that, I would probably go A W W W. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But he's gone for an A H H H. So we know it's go on to kiss Princess Jasmine. Ah. But anybody who didn't know would think it would be like go on to kiss Princess Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I think we're looking at here? I think the AWW was American, and I think it came in shortly after this. I do. Could well be. Um, but um, what they don't mention here, but which Chris alluded to a moment ago, is that <clears throat> we of all who played Aladdin as kids we, and, and used the level select skip to skip right to the end, we have all had an experience where we got to that last boss, chucked the handful of apples we had on our possession, and then we had run out of apples. And... Then you couldn't fin fight the boss, which actually I've only just now realised is perhaps proof against people using that level select cheat. Or level skip cheat, rather. Maybe. Is it ABBA ABBA in this game? Oh, I can't remember. I think it was. I never owned it. I did play uh, it, and in fact, I do remember playing the final boss, Jafar, but I have no memory if I used a cheat. Yeah, I can't remember if I ever got there normally, but I certainly got there and, yeah, ran out of apples, so that was it. And I'm pretty sure, actually, that I got there legitimately because I remember how annoyed I was that I had to just throw away all that, that whole playthrough, because I'd mm. simply run out of apples. It doesn't tell you that's going to happen. It doesn't tell you there's a boss that demands you have loads of apples, otherwise you can't finish the entire game. And then it does say there's a there's a screenshot of Jafar um, sort of doing a beam at Aladdin, and it says, avoid Jafar's pulling power and throw the apples to end his evil ways. But of course, that's impossible, because as we all know, nobody can resist Jafar's pulling power. <laughs> 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 you know, I have one other complaint about this, and What's it's that? the kind of complaint that only a child could have. And that I still have, because of course, I am a child. Um, it's whenever they're describing uh, level 9, when they're talking about the boss. Go right up the steps, keep throwing apples at the parrot, and hit the ghosts with your sword. After several hits, the parrot will be deceased. Watch the parrot lose his feathers <laughs> as Aladdin throws the deadly apples. <laughs> He's got a name, That's not David a Gibbon, parrot. and That's his Iago. name is Iago. Give me the parrot. <laughs> Do your research. <laughs> Isn't it a shame that these? Because it's it makes perfect sense, right? That's an easy mistake to make. Obviously, this person happens yeah. not to have seen the film, doesn't realise that's a main character, but. Yeah. You're missing out, mate. It's a really good film. Go and see it. But the people who will know are the people who the thing is written for. Yeah. As a child, I would have looked at that and gone, his name's Iago. And that just put it there again, though. <laughs> it's like writing Supersonic in the wrong place all over again, isn't it? Tales. The Land Beyond, Part 3, written by Nigel Kitching, art by Dave Windit, colours by John Burns, with letters by Ella Fell. 
Errol and Tails free Shirob and make a run for it just as the Pit Beast to which the Enchanter King was to be sacrificed appears. The beast pursues and Tails bravely tries to make a stand to cover the other's escape, but when the beast lunges at him, it bashes its head on a rocky overhang, taking the fight out of it and allowing Tails to rejoin his comrades. Shirob claims he knows the way out of the labyrinth, but instead leads Tails and Errol into an ambush. Surrounded by Trog's minions, Tails and Errol watch as Shirob transforms, revealing that he is really Trog himself. Whoa! So this one was quite a lot of fun, I thought. It was, wasn't it? There are... Like, first, the first reaction I had when the pit beast appears, which is the, you know, the thing that we, we saw the eyes and teeth in the shadow. Yeah, we left off with the missing, like, at the end of last issue, the missing Enchanter King is chained up while ominous red eyes and white toothy grin of some monster start to emerge from the utter darkness behind. Now we actually get to see the creature and it's hilarious. Yeah, the creature, the first reaction I had was, oh, because it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a very uninspiring, dumpy looking uh, yeah. monster. And I, and I was at first willing to go, oh, Dave Windit's let down on the character design front again. But then there, it actually turns out that this monster, because this is Nigel Kitching, there's real shades of decap attack about this monster. Mm. He's basically just a big sort of face with arms and legs coming off it, you know, just like a big blobby yeah. face guy. And uh, when they break the chains and pull Shirob free, the monster's all confused and he goes, what are you doing here? Don't you know I'm supposed to eat him? <laughs> and it takes him a minute. Like, they run off down the tunnel. And he's like, those two creeps just took my dinner. And that makes me mad. And then he starts chasing them, you know. And then you get this. There's a, such a wonderful bit where they're all, they're cornered. It's hopeless. You know, he's catching up to them. Tails is like, no, he's going to get us. He's going to get us. And they're like, we're going to have to fight. And he just, the monster leaps towards them. And Tails goes, oh boy, I wish Sonic was here. And he just whacks his head on a bit of rock. And it goes crump. And it really made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, and, and he, he cries as he cradles the bump on his head. Yeah, I didn't I'd forgotten that the monster You know, the thing I always remembered about this one that's burned into my memory again, because yeah. it's such a it's because it, it's a bad bit of cartooning, is the panel on the second page of the monster chasing them. Uh -huh. Where it looks like the monster is just running alongside them. The with the them, perspective, yeah. the positioning of the figures is really bad. It just looks like it's running alongside them. Maybe it's because of Errol's tail, like the monster sh he should be further behind them, but if he was then he'd be yeah. his features would be covered by Errol's tail. That's right. But yeah, it's not a well laid out panel. And for some reason, I always remembered that. But I had forgotten that the monster is a big dumb British trapdoor monster. <laughs> yeah, this is the tales I would like to see more of. Honestly, I feel like yeah. if Nigel brings in his comedy chops to give Tails stupid adventures that he has to do. Because that would give him more scope to ramp up the sort of helplessness. Like, oh no, now what? Oh, now this? Oh. But it also then manages to end on a really good twist. Yeah, I genuinely... See, I... No, honestly, that's what I was going to didn't you. see this coming. <laughs> I, I have no memory of how I reacted to it the first time out, 26 years right. ago. I've never forgotten it, so I knew where this story was going. So I... Right. I, yeah, I have no reaction to it now, but I was going to ask you, did you know or did you remember? <laughs> I didn't remember and I couldn't have foreseen it. Like, Trog, up till now, I thought was just an orc, just a snappy physical beast. But now, apparently, he's someone who can transform himself temporarily into an old fox guy, fool everybody into thinking he's one of the Enchanter Kings, and then go, actually, it's me. Yes, because they, they, they do actually specify here, this is not some, some he's not 
pretending to be Shirob. He says, can we drop this silly Shirob stuff? Yes. Nowadays, I prefer to be known by a different name. And he transforms. So this used to be a, an Enchanter King called Shirob, who yes. is now Trog. And the lost Enchanter King, it turns out, ha- became Trog somehow. That's so cool. And it makes the whole thing way more interesting. It totally does. Yeah. I, I And I, I always remembered this bit about the story. I, I hadn't remembered how rather dull and uneventful the first two parts were. But this is a twist that sort of comes along and when taken as a whole makes up for a lot of it. It's really good now. I'm really looking forward to seeing the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's another twinging letter here. I love it. Sonic the Show-Off. This one's from Richard Andrews of Wilnecott in Staffordshire. I was going to write in to complain about someone. Sonic! As Sonic is a blue streak of show-off, I was getting sick and tired of seeing him all the time. I would just like to say that I, for one, am glad that you did something about Sonic getting all the attention now that Tails has his own comic strip. And I just, I, I was like, oh, stop your moaning, but I love Megadroid's reply. It's like, Phew, I'm glad you were going to write in and complain. Just think what would have happened if you'd actually been bold enough to do it. <laughs> I love that! I love that! That is a good little bit of sass. It's, but again, it is part Part of that respect that I felt at the start as well, where it's like, yes, we are all people reading something. These are the people making it, getting aggravated by our attempts at writing in and complaining. <laughs> it's nice. It's part of the little back and forth. The fact that, that here's what it is. The fact that Megadroid feels the license to sass back at his readers yeah. feels like a level of respect that you don't get out of some kids stuff. Do you know what I mean by that? Oh, yeah, it's like definitely. being on the same level. It's like joking with friends. But there's a very fine line that you have to walk with that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I always remember the British Transformers Armada comic that was published in the early 2000s had had the same sort of tone. Like Starscream answered the letters on it. <laughs> and he really tore into them, poor kids. And I'm like... Wow, I don't think the kids would get the joke that you're going here. You're actively insulting their drawings and stuff. Well, while we're on drawings, uh, there's a very imaginative one right at the top of the page here. Uh, A Toast to Sonic by David Haywood of Holy Hill, Surrey. What he's drawn is, okay, so it's a toaster. There's a toaster. Very detailed toaster, by the way. He's got a little sort of flower design on the the side of it. it. And the cable, it's plugged in. I reckon that's the toaster from his kitchen. I think so. It's got a piece of toast shooting up out of it, having potching. And on the toast, for reasons known only to David Hayward, is a drawing of Sonic's head and a chili dog. Cool. Yep. Copied from issue five, isn't it? Is it? Remind me. Well, you remember that's the one where Sonic was eating the hot dog. Oh, not the toaster then, with the toast coming out. No, no, no. The uh, the, the right. drawing of Sonic. Yeah. Head, the up close, head on look of Sonic holding a, a hot dog up close to his mouth. Yes, I agree with you there. Uh, and of course, the interesting thing is that now such a toaster can indeed be purchased, and I know people who own it. Well, good for them. You can now get a toaster that burns Sonic onto your toast, and then you have to eat that. If you like your toast with a load of burned patches on it, good for you. (laughs) Never understood that. Yep, that's a weird one, but he has drawn it in ink, and it certainly is imaginative, so it fulfills several criteria from the (laughs) control zone. However, on this issue's speed lines... In which every guideline desperately laid out in the control zone is ignored. Yeah. You have to wonder just how many hundreds of uh, letters and drawings they're getting if they had to resort to printing. And no offence now. 
to the artist here because it's actually a perfectly good drawing. But there's a, a, a bit of fan art of Decap Attack. But um, they haven't put their name and address on it. So out of the hundreds of thousands of pictures they reckon they've been getting, they are resorting here to printing one that they can't even credit. So it sort of feels as if maybe they're not getting as many as they're advertising. Yeah, it's like it'd be one thing if this was like an illustration of ways not to do it. Uh, which it does kind of feel like, but they did print they did print them all. So yes, look, it's coloured in crayon as well. Uh, it does seem to be, doesn't it? I like this letter from David Brown of Surbiton. He he wants to know why they haven't printed his letter yet. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, so he just he signs off by saying, "Please print this, or I'll scream." And Megadroid just says, "Nothing personal. We get all these letters. Blah blah blah." Now keep quiet. There's a lot of lazy humans trying to sleep around here. <laughs> Always a bit of fun flavour. And I just feel as if after editing this Speedlines, Richard Burton immediately ran over to his typewriter and did the why haven't you printed my letter section. It's like it's clapping back on this set of letters specifically. Yeah. I mean, Sarah Rose from Boothston or Boothstown in Manchester says uh, she's going to come and burn down STC's offices if Tales of Strip <laughs> doesn't get more pages. And it's a very long letter too. It's one, two, it's like 15 or 16 lines in it. <laughs> this is uh, this is a reader engaging in as much sass as they get from Megadroid. Dear STC, so you've done something right for once and satisfied the wishes of the silent majority. I'm referring to the tail strip, which my friends and I are very pleased about, but are disappointed that it's only four pages long. Tails deserves a strip the same size, if not bigger, than Sonic's. If that really wasn't possible, at least Tails could have been given an average five pages. If you think that you can keep the country's many Tails fans quiet by giving their favourite character the smallest strip in SDC. You're heading for trouble. Unless you increase the pages of the Tales strip, I shall personally come to the office and burn it to the ground with my own copy of issue one. Take the hint. Imagine what that was like before they edited it down. <laughs> I know, right? Right on, Sarah. But if you do that, you'll also destroy all the new Tales stories we've got coming up. Now, what do you really want? More Tales in SDC or a lot of slightly charred humes? Don't think too long about it. And uh, I must declare an interest here, or not an interest exactly, I, I must declare something here, which is that I remember oh. Sarah Rose from the old online STC fan page days. Really? Um, yeah, she was a regular and she was, I, I don't think she would mind me saying, just as bolshy as this. <laughs> Sarah, if you are out there listening, get in touch. What else have we got in speed lines? The last letter here is just a nice one. It's from Tommy Clifford in Hayes, Middlesex. And he says, I like your comic. I love the Sonic Hedgehog 2 game. I played it all the time on my Sega Mega Drive. I go to a special school and your comic helps my reading. And Megadroid says, thanks, Tommy. Hope you have as much fun with Sonic 3. Not to mention future issues of STC. Hey. Oh, I mean, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Not R. Ah. No, no, not R. Consider the lily. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, I believe, Dave, hmm. that you have told me we have a few things in the mailbag, this issue. Uh, you mean the mailbag labelled stctpodcast at gmail.com? Yes, we do. We have a letter here from PJ Montgomery. PJ! Which is regards the previous episode of this podcast. It says... Hi, the humans who think they're in charge. I just wanted to respond to a couple of points in your most recent episode. First... I had one of those Midland Live Cash accounts. Yes! I love it! <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. You see, we ask people to write in and they actually do. While I remember the adverts in STC, this isn't why I did. As even with those, I always ah. assumed banking a more grown-up affair. So surely this sort of thing was aimed at those very mature types, you know, 17-year-olds. However, this changed when Midland employees started turning up in my school on a Friday lunchtime. 
Ooh, I don't know if I don't know if I like the sound of that. Oh no, I remember something sim- not not with Midland, but I know I, I can remember sort of like yeah, banking initiative type things that would have oh. visited school on occasion. Yeah, weird. Okay, I thought this was a common thing, but no one else I've spoken to had it, so maybe it was just my school and Chris's. They'd appear every week. They'd appear every week. Okay, that's weird. Yeah, sorry, it became weird again. <laughs> and encourage kids to open a live cash account with them. Oh then could be used to deposit or withdraw money every week. Oh, so they were coming to the school to actually perform banking services. Yeah. Come to you. Well, I mean, wouldn't that be handy? If you, there was just a little van that came around like a bookmobile did your banking for you on your front doorstep. I suppose technically it would, yeah. So if you've got any change left over from the bus or school dinners or whatever it is you happen to have change for. Or your pack of American card gums <laughs> and your can of cola. <laughs> yeah, you can give them to the, the bank reps who come in. I don't know, it still seems a bit like that bit in Mary Poppins to me, but all right. <laughs> I took them up on it and do indeed recall a welcome pack in a brightly coloured folder that included giveaways and discounts, many of which were Sega themed. Not that I ever won anything or used the discounts, but still I had the account. There you are. Well, that's great. Second, the feature on the Street Fighter special moves. Yes. This seems pretty lazy to me. Now, I'm sure I remember that back in these days, when games came in chunky boxes with full instruction manuals, the Street Fighter games included the special moves in the booklet. (laughs) I've googled this and found a scan of the booklet for Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition on the Mega Drive, and yes, there they are, with Ken and Ryu's Fireball referred to as such as well. So, did whoever wrote this feature for STC just copy an instruction booklet and call it a day? How did that get past Mega Droid? Here's the booklet if you're interested and then there's a link to gamesdatabase.org and their scan of the booklet. Just wanted to also say, I love the podcast. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much. It's bringing back many fond memories of a comic I loved as a kid, but which all went to the recycling bin many years ago. Oh, no. The recycling bin, not even the eBaying bin. Oh, no. (laughs) But this is a great way to relive my long-gone youth. Thanks. You took the words right out of my mouth, PJ. Well, thank you, PJ. Thanks for writing in. Yes, thank you very much. That's what we're trying to do with this reminding everybody of their childhood when everything was better. Yes. <laughs> uh, but the mailbag is getting a bit overstuffed, which is good. Keep keep stuffing it, readers. Um, it just means that we can't cover everything straight away. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get to most things. So let's have one more. We've got another call-in from Sabre in Blue who says this one is better. <laughs> so I haven't heard this yet. Let's see what he has to say. This is Sam Gabriel, also known as Saber and Blue. Dave, Dave, I have a bone to pick with you. I, it's okay. Here, ha, ah, because I've just realized something. After listening to all of your wonderful uh, songs, available now at Patreon.com/slash/DemonTomatoDave. Uh, Dave, <laughs> let me explain something. I I don't really like Sonic that much. Um, <laughs> I I grew up with Sat AM. And I love that when I was about like seven years old, never played the games when I was a kid. I played them as, as an adult. Even the Genesis ones, I don't like them. Ooh. Fair enough people that do. It's not it's not a gameplay type that grabs me at all. I, I don't have fun playing them. Yeah, I don't think we're including this. <laughs> I've never consumed any of the media for anything other than ironic purposes. When I found out that Chris McFeely was making a podcast about Sonic the Comic with another guy, I was like, hey, I heard that those comics were pretty good. I'm interested in this. Do you know how I knew that, Dave? Do you know how I knew that the British Sonic comics were good? <laughs> I'll tell you how I knew, because I used to go on the uh, the Something Awful LP sub forum, and I heard this one day. <laughs> it was you, Dave. You are the reason that I even know about these freaking comics. 
because you were apparently possessed of true sight and knew you would be doing a podcast about Sonic the Comic like 10 years later. I don't think I'm actually angry about this because actually it turns out the comics are quite good. But, but and anyway, I like your music. Have a good day. Bye. Well, flattery will get you everywhere, Sam. So that's going straight in the speedline section. As Megadroid might say, yep. don't dare us not to post your audio <laughs> files. <laughs> and uh, listen, I'll use this opportunity to flip in advertise the fact that if you were to pop on my Patreon, you might hear this. The Sonic's gone all yellow and he's falling down. Look at the birds behind the plane. I know. That actually was the first song of yours I ever heard, Dave. And again, it was how I. I, You were singing, so your nationality was not immediately apparent. Uh, But whenever I heard the line, and the comics were good, I was like, this fella's a Brit. I knew, I instinctively knew because you said the comics were good. Same, same as Sam. Right. Whereas an American, of course. You must have been talking about STC. Yeah, because an American wouldn't be able to say such a thing, would they? I mean, they would have said it, but they wouldn't have made a song about it. <laughs> they wouldn't make a song about it. They would have it. said it, but they, they wouldn't have believed in it enough to make a song about it. <laughs> yeah. And if you, listeners, want to send in a call-in... <laughs> Shut up. If you, <laughs> listeners, would like to send us a call-in... I do like them, so please do. Uh, you just record yourself and send it to stctpodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't like the sound of your own voice, like some people I am led to believe do not, then you can just write us a letter there and we'll we'll read it out and uh, discuss it there. Right, I think that's going to do it for issue number 20 of Sonic the Comic. Next issue! Ah, look, I'm so happy, Dave! Do you know why I'm so happy? Why? Because the next issue thing's back on the inside back cover next to the data strip. (laughs) It's not the subscription (laughs) coupon anymore. (laughs) Yes, I know it bothered you so much. It flies, it spins, it's free! It's the supersonic spinner max out with this mini flying disc. Perform spin attacks worthy of Sonic himself and freak out those Segalus Sados. Segalus Sados. We're back again to the Sados. I know, right? (laughs) It's a cool green flying machine and it's yours. Next issue. And there is a picture of it here. It's just a tiny green frisbee with a sticker of Sonic curled up doing a spin attack in the center. It's your standard, like we would complain about today, free gift frisbee. It's just a circle of plastic that they put on a comic not great but i think the words were actually sculpted into it i think so and i don't care because i have a story <laughs> oh i look forward to that then um <laughs> although i for one by the way was still a segula sado even after acquiring my sonic super spinner so it didn't do much <laughs> did it freak you out <laughs> uh yes it did yes <laughs> plus she's cute she's pink she's trouble Amy's coming to Sonic next issue plus Eternal Champion Shinobi Tales Sonic the Comic 21 on sale Saturday the 5th of March 1.10 miss it and forever regret it they're not (laughs) pulling their punches there but if you miss this one you would have regretted it honestly the next one is the big one we did not know what was going on when this issue dropped this is the turning point this is the start of level three next issue watch for it oh and after such a 
an innocuous, boring-sounding, perhaps even actively bad-sounding little preview tag at the end of this issue's Sonic strip which said, Next issue, Girl Trouble <laughs> doesn't sound like one to pin all your hopes on, but oh my god. STC starts here. And if you're as excited for that as we are, you can find it in two weeks' time on Apple Podcasts. And if you do get the podcast from there, please do leave us a review because it does help us move up those strange algorithms and get higher placed. And we do have some very nice ones on there already, and we do thank you for leaving them. But you can also download the podcast directly from stctp.wigglehe.com, where you can also like it on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter is at Sonic Podcast. We somehow managed to get that and uh, you also you can find us individually on there where I am at Demon Tomato Dave and I am at Chris McFeely our theme tune is Synchronize by Sonic the Comic the Band and you can find them and you can purchase the track I ought to emphasise at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com you ought to go and do that but we have been Sonic the Comic for the podcast and we will see you in, In two, two weeks, weeks time. time. Bye. Bye. The pair escape just as the volcano blows, but the hilltop people sit a little, 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 little.